0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. I've got two things to tell you before we get to my man, Dr. Josh Graves. If you are wondering about how to respond to the needs of parents who have a son or daughter with same-sex attraction, or you're searching for better ways to support men and women who experience same-sex attraction within your congregation, or you need a safe place to resolve questions about faith and sexuality, join me in Dallas, Texas, October 27th through 29th for Centerpiece's E3 conference. This is an event that you heard me and Sally Gary talk about just two weeks ago. It's a great event. Like I said, I'm going to be there. Sally will be there. Richard Beck will be there and a handful of other people that you know from the podcast. Uh, For more information, look at the show notes that you find on your phone as you're listening to this or go to LukeNorsworthy.com. Now, second thing I want to tell you about it's time for another mailbag podcast and so we've done these before where if you've got questions you've got something you want to hear more about shoot me an email luke at luke or go to facebook drop me a note over there and uh we're gonna answer some mailbag questions on the podcast so um hopefully during the month of june we'll get all these in and maybe i'll post one in july And so uh, send me questions that way, or if you want to hear your own voice in the podcast, record a voice memo, just like I'm doing right now for this introduction, on your phone, and then email it over to me, Luke at Luke Norsworthy, and uh, who knows? You might hear your own voice in the podcast. And now whose voice you're going to hear is my friend Josh Graves and I, chopping it up from Malibu, California. Here we go. Can you hear enough in your cans? Can you hear yourself? Yes. Check. Yes. All right, friends. Today we've got our old friend, Dr. Joshua Graves. Welcome.
1: Luke, I'm honored to be with you again.
0: I'm honored that you're honored. Do you know why I thought, you know what, we need to have Josh back on?
1: I don't, actually. You
0: know what happened? Um, Because it's
1: not like a lot of people listened to the last ones I did.
0: Oh, come on. (laughs) Yes, they did. Well, what it was is that... See, what happened was... I was... Okay, a few weeks ago, I was at my friend Rob's house, just down the road. And I was thinking, how many times Rob's been on? And then I thought, I remember one time we were texting a group, and you at one point said, I have a better chance of getting Obama on the podcast than ever getting Rob Bell to be on the podcast. And then I thought, man, at this point, Rob's been on more than you have. And so I really feel like I want to kind of level that back out and just make sure you don't feel left out that's what this-
1: I'm not even going to play your game touche <laughs> you, you win that one one nothing let's not, go not, one nothing no you, you point well taken i, I would, did say that and i was could not have been <laughs> wrong now it would have helped if you had told me that some of the you had some contacts in the pipeline already that <laughs> but game respects game you're up one nothing let's roll
0: you're not going to give me anything to build on? That was my whole intro. I thought we could go somewhere. No, back. that
1: was so strong. I'm not even And you're just going to lay down? No, I know when I'm beat.
0: <laughs> well, you're a winner, so you don't, you don't get beat very often. And so I do I, win a lot. You're a winner.
1: I'm a win. I'm a three.
0: Yeah. Enneagram three. Josh is a big... He's, he's gone in hard on the Enneagram. I'm all in. You're deep on that. You actually yeah. had Suzanne and Ian out doing a conference.
1: Suzanne has trained our staff, our ministry staff, Our uh, administrative staff, we've done two sessions with our whole staff, Mm -hmm. and then she just recently did something with Ian for our entire church, and we invited Nashville churches and business community of Nashville. We had 485 people come for an introduction to the Enneagram on a Saturday in Nashville. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, they're well-known musicians who can't even get 400 people to come well, listen to them sometimes. In I, Mish, so. <laughs> but that speaks to how awesome our friend Suzanne is.
0: Yeah. Suzanne, Ian, super talented. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was with them the week right after that. I don't know if they told you, but they're working on a podcast.
1: That's right. They came to you. Yes. Luke, that's how, you know, you're moving up in the world before you'd have to like get in your little Ford Fiesta and like take your (laughs) crappy, crappy equipment to them and be like, Hey Lindsay, can I, I got to take a day off work now. Like they're coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. With, with their, uh, with their guy, our friend.
0: Yeah. Chafee. He was there too. Yeah. Jim. Yeah. He was great. Jim
1: listens to this. So there you go, Jim.
0: Oh, Hey Jim. And, uh, what you'll know is that you actually are going to be a guest on their podcast, which has already been recorded.
1: That's right. Yeah. They quizzed me about being a three. A three, yeah. I'm pretty much the healthiest three they know.
0: They don't know a lot of threes, I guess.
1: They don't know a lot. Wade. Yeah. I'm the healthiest three <laughs> they know. <laughs> that's where they went to eat. Jonathan. So, I'm the healthiest. healthiest three they know. Palmer. Healthiest three. three they
0: yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I used to think I was a three. I'm definitely. You're a seven. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty deep on the, the seven, just like Tom. Tom and Rob, they're both sevens. So. I did
1: not know NT Wright was a seven. Yeah, yeah. I would actually, I didn't know there were any British sevens. Really? I thought the whole culture was inoculated from being <laughs> a seven.
0: Do you see him as, like, do you see a seven? Like, the seven is the eternal optimist.
1: One of my best friends is a seven, David Rubio, who you should absolutely have on this podcast. I, don't really
0: know, I know of him, but He's
1: yeah. He's pound for pound, the best, best youth pastor in North America, oh, wow. in my opinion. Wow. He is like, my definition of a seven. So knowing him, it's just hard for me to imagine a Brit mm-hmm. being a seven. Yeah. But good. And hey, a right hey. seven. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, so the other day, mind my business, I get a link to a story on PBS with yours truly on it. The Josh Graves story on PBS, not really Josh Graves story, but some really cool stuff that you're doing. Uh, the story was really about your work with, uh, integrating, Uh, the Christian community with uh, the Muslim community in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. Did I say that all correctly? You got it. Okay. So before we get like jump into that um, background, your dissertation, your doctor dissertation um, became a book called uh, Tearing Down... How Not to Kill a Muslim. How Not to Kill a Muslim. Yes, I was close. Yeah. You
1: had an author named Josh Graves who wrote How Not to Kill a Muslim on your podcast twice to talk about the book.
0: But the first time... (laughs) was it was you 're right, you're right that was the original title to nothing you're yeah. right
1: it was tearing down the walls, well, we tried an ebook, yeah, and then a publisher came back to us and said mm-hmm.
0: we we want to work with this, so we changed the title we added to the book, yeah, and, you punched it up, and yeah. uh it's great, like i've done your um you in that book do the good Samaritan story mm-hmm. in there, and i 've just basically ripped it off and used it as a sermon yeah that's okay it's a great book you've done some good stuff there, and so that's kind of was that your introduction to, I, I guess in the book, don't you talk about uh, a basketball teammate of yours that you played with Gennaro in college?
1: Daywood. Yeah, he was Chaldean. And we were, we ta- I just talked about this as one of the pivotal things. So I grew up in Detroit. Black and white is a major source of tension, but there's also the largest Arab population in the world outside of the Middle East is in Detroit. And so there's a lot of tension in the Arabic world, Arabic Muslims, Arabic Christians, mm-hmm. Chaldeans, Uh, Sunni, Shia, Sufi Muslims. And I had a friend who was Chaldean. He's actually Christian, but he, quote, looked Muslim. Yeah. And we were playing in a game, Rochester College. We were playing Marygrove College. And the student section of Marygrove started chanting, he's a terrorist, he's a terrorist, about my friend Gennaro. What year is this? This is 2001, two months after the towers fell. This is fall of 2001. Wow. And that was one of those seminal moments for me that I realized, like, This felt, it felt like the 1960s, like the scapegoating, the other, the, we got, we have someone we have to hate. Um, And there were a lot of other experiences I had.
0: Were you aware of the tension before that moment? Like before post 9-11?
1: Because I I went to a large public high school, pretty diverse, and there was a lot of tension among the many ethnic groups. So I was aware of, and it was growing. Mm -hmm. Um, So Yeah, the dissertation, the book. Hold on, can we
0: go back to the basketball game? Yeah. Didn't you get a technical foul after that? I did.
1: I used the F word. Yeah.
0: Well, if you wouldn't have said it was the F word, I could have gone more with this. But now I'm just kind of done. I can't do anything with that. Two to one. Okay, so so that was your – how many technical fouls did you get in college? One. Just that one? Yep. Well, if you're going to use, that, I mean there's a a, a right Oh, I ending. feel
1: I feel really good about. Like I'll actually tell my kids about that.
0: You'd be proud of that? Yeah.
1: Stand? I feel pretty good about it. I stand by my work. That's good. So, yeah. here's here's how this all went okay, down. Okay, yeah, yeah. President Obama came to Nashville a few years ago, and one of the places he visited before he left is a place called Casa Azrafan. Uh Cafe Azrafan or Casa Azrafan. There's people call it different names. But it's this center uh, for nonprofit work in Nashville where Jews and Muslims and atheists and Christians who are doing what we would call humanitarian type work. Ken? They office out of the same thing and they host conferences and it's really a fascinating mm-hmm. little venue. Um, and as part of that experience, uh, Obama had mentioned how impressed he was. Nashville has the largest Kurdish population in the U S um, of largest concentrations of Kurds in the U S live in nashville long story behind all that so he commented on that well a, a really wealthy um trust was sending a group of international reporters around the world in six weeks to cover the tension between christians and muslims in different parts of the world okay and they had heard of obama's remarks about kurds and how they're being treated in nashville and the innovative stuff happening so a group of reporters came and I got to spend time with several of them. These were London Times, New York Times, Washington Post, Tokyo, wow. uh, Shanghai, like from some of the great cities of the world. Yeah. They're leading journalists.
0: Did you feel like your time on the podcast prepped you to deal with <laughs> journalists like that? That Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs>
1: okay. So you spent time no. with these? No? No?
0: Not at all? Okay. Carry on. So you're interacting with the journalists from all over the world. And one of the journalists, uh,
1: now a friend, Kim Lawton, who's one of PBS's main reporters, she covers a lot of stuff for religion and ethics. She started talking to me. She said, I really want to do a piece um, on you. And I said, I don't want it to be about me because I'm in, I'm involved in a lot of stuff. Wait,
0: so when, when did she say she wants to do a piece on you?
1: After she had come to Nashville. I'd been on some panels. She had read the book.
0: Give me time, like six months ago, a year ago? Uh, probably a year ago. Okay, a year ago.
1: And first of all, I didn't want it to be about me uh five years ago, maybe I would have, but I'm just kind of i don't
0: huh because when I was in college, a reporter wanted to do a story on me because I was twenty and I preached a little country church, and I had dreadlocks, and I said, "Yeah, come on,
1: you and- had dreadlocks, yeah." And your hair is just like so perfect now. It's hard to imagine you with dreadlocks.
0: Well, you know, we all go through different phases. I was listening to a lot of Lenny Kravitz. Different phases
1: of perfection.
0: <laughs> so it's I, hard but, being loose. But, but I'm just saying you were more humble as uh, someone who's well, 15 I think years down the road. A, than-
1: anybody who does interfaith work, Like, there's so many unusual personalities involved. You do not want it to come about you. Because if 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 I'm removed, if I die, or if I take a different job, or if I yeah. if it's about the personality, then the work doesn't flourish and continue like it should. So she said, "I'd like to do uh, this piece about you and your passion for this work." And I said, "I, I don't. I'm not interested in that kind of piece. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to come and really talk to the people on the ground that I'm working with, let's do it." But I also had uh, a reservation because just like if you're going to work with Fox or CNN or anybody. You're at their mercy. Like, you don't know how they're going to present. I could have come off looking stupid. Yeah, I could have come off looking condescending or judgmental to people who feel differently about this. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm a pastor of a local church. Like, I walk with people. I visit hospitals. I do counseling. I preach sermons. That's my whole job. And I'm not an activist in the traditional sense of the word. Yeah. So... She talked a lot about how she wanted to do the story. She came to Nashville, spent three days with us, with several of my Muslim friends who are just salt-of-the-earth leaders. And then they ran this story, and they did – it's nine, about nine minutes. Mm-hmm. PBS ran it last weekend on all of their um, American channels. And the response has just been wonderful.
0: Yeah. So you're not going to let me say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, it's the most popular story they've done in the last year. Uh, there's a rumor of that. There's a rumor. And uh, from the guy who didn't want the piece to be about him, he's not going to acknowledge that. But clearly this has struck a nerve. It's been something that people are connecting to on a great level. What do you think that is? Oh, I,
1: it's several things. I mean, we're still living post nine eleven, 11 Islamophobia. Um, Trump has exacerbated the conversation with his comments about Muslim immigrants. And maybe we should round up the Muslims who are here. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's just so much fear in the water.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that, uh, I forget who it was. It might've been an elder leader from Otter Creek said, uh, in the piece was something about the importance of being at the table together. Like you have to, like eat a meal with people. You know what I'm talking about. You remember that Gotta section. Got to be at the table. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, kind of explain that quote, and then I'm assuming that goes hand in hand with your idea, because obviously you're putting your feet under table with a lot of these people in this work you're doing together. Why do you think that's so important?
1: My pr- there's a lot of different ways people do interfaith work, mm-hmm. but the primary way I think of interfaith work is hospitality. In relationships, So hospitality is not just welcoming people, mm-hmm. but it's being welcomed. And that's what's great about the table is it, it's the great equalizer. Power just mm-hmm. doesn't work at the table. Everybody's on an equal footing. I think yeah. that's why Jesus uses the table. So both in, in Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Baha'i, those are the four I know the best. Um, hospitality is central. Mm-hmm. So when we do interfaith work, and those are the only groups I really feel called to do interfaith work, If you're a Jane, I love you, but I, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere.
0: I don't even know what that is, to be honest with you. You can
1: just watch the Oprah stuff. You can, there's some pretty fascinating stuff about it. Yeah. So the the, because hospitality is so central in those four religions, we are using the table and food to bring people together to share the stories of our lives. Mm -hmm. What matters to you most? What are you afraid of? What's giving you anxiety? Why do you love being a citizen of the U S what does it mean to be a citizen of the United States? Um, What's the, What are the central tenets of your faith? What do you think about the stereotypes that are out there? And when you're doing that and you're drinking and you're eating, you're like fully in your body. You're not just in your head. You're in your whole body. You're fully present. And you're human. And you're at your best.
0: Yeah. You said something uh, that it's not just giving hospitality but receiving hospitality. Or something to that extent where it's not just you you giving people something but also you receiving. A lot of people would think of doing work where you're reaching out to someone is that you're giving them something. Why do you think it's important to also be receiving?
1: When you're giving, you're still in
0: power. Okay.
1: When you're receiving, you're in a position of humility, hmm. right? Like let's take, uh, working with homeless men, which I, I know a decent amount about from when I lived in Detroit. You can get rich white people excited about serving the poor and the homeless as long as they get to stay in the side of the giver. Cause hmm. you still have the power. I'm doing this for you. I'm giving up my Sunday. I'm on this side of the table, handing out food or handing out coats. So there's still an exchange or a recognition that somebody is a little bit higher than the other person receiving. Mm -hmm. But the hospitality we're talking about is being received. Uh, You're putting yourself, you're going into a home you don't know. So you, it's, it's mutual. It has to be a mutual exchange. And I, this is one thing I love about Jesus it's not like Jesus, is like everybody, you're coming to my house and I got the pool and we're yep. gonna watch Steph Curry tonight and you know it's gonna be off the hook. He he like he's like, hey Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you're
1: he's you're, relying on their hospitality. The women kept his ministry going. He's relying on their hospitality.
0: And so part of doing community is where you're not always the one in power, right? And that or y-
1: control. That's big.
0: Control. Yeah. What do you think? The,
1: what the menu is, who's going to talk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because that could come across as very demeaning to someone else if they're always seen as just the, the person who's receiving. Right. And they're not... It's like the... Um, I was talking to... Um, do you know uh, Jamie Wright, the the world's very worst missionary or whatever? Her name yes. Is? Yeah, okay. I, well,
1: I know her through social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: She's very funny, very brilliant person. But she was talking about the experience of someone in uh uh, underdeveloped country and a group comes down from the united states and they're going to build a house and so there's this man this provider for his family and he's watching a 12 year old girl um as a father of daughters i don't mean this demean to girls but like a 12 year old boy uh inappropriately even using a hammer and nails building a house for him and he just sits there and watches like what does it do for the psyche as as a 34 year old father if i just saw some like preteen building a house for me and i'm going oh like I have to, this is what I, I'm, my life has digressed to, uh, that's kind of the same idea as like, we're exactly. Yeah. So it respects our humanity. It does. And it respects your own humanity.
1: It raises the level of humanity for everybody involved. Yeah.
0: So as I've, you've kind of been my go-to to like learn about this interaction. Cause I don't, I'll be honest. Like I don't,
1: Yeah.
0: I haven't really, uh, in rural Southeast Ohio where I grew up, not a lot of diversity. Yeah. Um, West Texas, where I went to school, not a great deal of diversity. So that this has not been on the But now of- you're in Austin. Austin. And I'm, yes, I, it's a different world. But so you've been the go-to guy that I've, I've gone through to learn a whole lot from this. And one of the things that I've appreciated and, uh, I've, I've gleaned a lot from you is this, this, this idea that you're going to have conversations with other people, but you're still a Jesus person. And, you want to everyone to be a Jesus person because you're a Jesus person, but you also want to still respect where they are and um, their different idea of how to achieve the good life. You've, uh, you, you know, Miroslav Vols work better than I do, I've, obviously, but you know that's his language of the good life. How how can people hold that tension of I'm going to accept you, you're going to be the table. I'm a Jesus person. I want everyone to be a Jesus person, but I know you're coming at this from a different perspective.
1: The most succinct way I know how to say it is. I reject the fear of fundamentalism mm-hmm. and I reject the ap- the apathy and naivete of liberalism. So the way I approach this particular conversation and and by the way the the whole idea Christ plays in 10,000 places like I don't think that everybody's called to do interfaith work. I don't think everyone's called to work in sex trafficking or I don't think everyone's called to to advocate for the homeless or for refugees and, and immigrants. But I hope all of those are represented in a, in a particular local church. And the, so the question is what breaks your heart? What makes you come yeah. alive? Yeah, what, yeah. what, how are you wired? Um, so, but the, this, the most succinct way I know how to just describe how I'm trying to move forward is I reject the fundamentalism that says I'm going to fearmonger and hate and be afraid and stereotype. Cause it's just so counter to the Jesus way. So fundamentally counter to Jesus's vulnerability and compassion. But I also want to reject kind of the liberal approach, which says we're traveling up the same mountain. We're just taking different paths. Christianity and Islam are very different. They have a decent amount in common as Wolf talks about in his great book. Allah, but Christians have staked their whole game in the incarnation of Jesus. Muslims have staked their whole game in the incarnation of the Quran. Mm-hmm. And those are different stories. Those are different entities, different realities. So to pretend like they're the same actually lowers the bar rather than raises it.
0: Okay, how does it how does it lower? Because a lot of people like this. We're going to coexist. We're all doing the same thing. We're all trying to go up the same mountain. Um, how does it actually lower it? By?
1: Because I think there's something... About being made in the image of God, which is found in our particularity. Hmm. Like, you know, the worst thing a white person, not the worst thing, one of the worst things a white person can say to a black person is, man, I don't even see you as black. I just, you're just, you're just Steph Curry or you're just LeBron. Like I've ever gotten to say that before. Yeah, you haven't said that? (laughs) But no, like, Steph Curry is an African American great basketball player who's a devout christian he's a leader in the community and part of what makes him who he is are his particularities so for me to be like "Ah, oh, you're not black and i'm not white it's like no like our image of god is revealed in our particularities it's revealed in those who are uh, latino women who study theology like those are the particularities that show us the image of god so that's the problem for, with me for the liberal approaches it's denying our particulars and if if the Gospels say anything, it's that God has revealed himself in the very particular person of Jesus of Nazareth, mm-hmm. right? He wasn't just this, as Hitler envisioned, just this every man. He was a very particular rabbinic Jewish male from a tiny town in Galilee.
0: Yeah, first of all, anytime you can use Hitler as a part of the other camp from you, well done. It's hard to argue with that. Well done. Uh so it but if you're gonna to try to say, Okay, Jesus is a particular person, the image of God is revealed in our peculiarities, mm-hmm. um, like how do you how do you balance
1: particularities? Not peculiar peculiarities. Particularities.
0: I was about to give you a point for that, it was gonna be two two, but then you got <laughs> kind of, you screwed say. it up yourself. <laughs> I know. It's still two to one. Uh
1: it's like Richard Rohr says
0: Okay, I screwed up the Richard Rohr quote the other day. Thanks for bringing it up. Two three. Go. No, it's still 2 It's like two. ping pong. <laughs> it's 2-2. Two, two. It's 2-2. Two, two. Um, so how do you... Backstory. I was... Whatever. You don't need to hear the backstory. Um, it, I messed up. And I know this is going to be hard for people to say. I misquoted Richard Rohr in a talk. Um and a lot of people just drop their phones right now hearing that. There's a lot for them to process. process. Um, I'm off course here. If we're going <laughs> to respect the... What's the word with the P word? Particularities. Of people and the image of God that's revealed in those different
1: particularities
0: how do we do that if people are coming from different religious camps so if
1: i'm talking about particularity singularity i'm trying to come up with a rap so you can remember how to pronounce it i'm just a part of it is you, you peculiar is right it's what makes you you who you are mm-hmm. um so it's just okay think about in your relationship with Lindsay, mm-hmm. uh, and i i hope this gets at what you just asked but Like, you don't just love her generally. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, wife, I love you. That's why I hate when people say, oh, the wife's calling. Well, guess what? That wife has a particular name. Mm -hmm. You only have one. Well, you should. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Kara's calling me. My wife is calling me. And she's a particular person who has
0: particular. But if you're. okay, but if you're a Muslim person. Yes. If you're a part of the religion of Islam. And I'm a part of the religion of Christianity. Yes. Um. Do I still see, okay, the image of God is still in you. Yes. Just like you, I'm pointing as an, uh, a Muslim person I'm sitting in that chair right there. The image of God is still in you. I'm honoring that. But the way that I understand the way that God has worked to reveal what that image actually looks like is different in me than it is in you. And so for me, it's the person of Jesus for you. It's the incarnation of the Quran, right? Correct. Close, right? No, it's exactly right. right, right. Okay. Um, And so I acknowledge the difference in the way that we understand the image of God.
1: Acknowledging the difference is part of what honors the image of God. Hmm. Um, There's, I I, I don't, uh, this is where I would normally go into a whole thing about the idea of revelation, not the book in the New Testament, but just the theological category of revelation. I don't want to do that.
0: Why not? Well,
1: it's just, it's too esoteric. I, I don't have a quick way to do it. I'm not saying your listeners are dumb.
0: You're just saying I'm dumb. <laughs> no. Dr. Graves, if you need to call me dumb, no no it's fine. No, 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 I'm it's just right. saying
1: it's not it's not worth it. The payoff's not worth okay, it. Okay, I know enough. I know where it goes. But if you are uniquely committed to the particular claims of your religion, mm-hmm. the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. and Amir Aran, who's a neurosurgeon at Vanderbilt, who's committed to the particular revelations as expressed in the Quran as he lives those out and I live those out, the city of Nashville should be better off because we're, we're committed to those particularities. Mm -hmm. Now, some people fundamentally disagree with that because they think Islam is inherently deceiving. Oh, they have to lie to you. Do you know about that? Or they're supposed to lie to you. Um, Or it's, they're trying to get everybody with Sharia law so some people would be like, yeah, if they live out there, if you let them live out their particular. But my experience, which is all I can really base what I know on is what I've experienced is the, the major, overwhelming majority of Muslim neighbors that I've worked with, when they are committed to their particularities, which are different than Christian-specific particularities, the city of Nashville is better. Yeah. Now, at the end of the day, I still want my Muslim friends to become Jesus people. Because I think Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to the world. Period. Me but too. But if they don't, I'm not going to, I'm not, my friendship's done over. Yeah. It's just starting.
0: Okay. So let's go back to Richard Rohr. You met Richard Rohr last fall. You're tight with him. You're close. You read his work, right? I, yeah, I You've do. You've read some of his stuff? I would not
1: say I'm tight with him. Okay. I met him because you knew him. Okay.
0: Well, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it was a connection that he really appreciated. So he liked you. I like to think in my head he did. And one of the things that he might have talked about then, if not, he's talked about it elsewhere, is the idea of the cosmic Christ. Are you familiar with his teaching? Absolutely. Okay, so as we're thinking of... It's
1: like the- every other sermon at Otter Creek Church brought to you by the cosmic Christ.
0: <laughs> Do you really preach about it?
1: It's it's one, It's been one of the five or six most important things I've learned in the last two years. Why is that? And it's been in the Bible the whole time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so when I went to seminary... I got really interested in the Anabaptist view of theology. Yoder, mm-hmm. Lee Camp's been a huge influence. You mm-hmm. need to have him on the podcast. I if need you to, have yeah. It. And and the Anabaptist tradition, Yoder, the Mennonites, mm-hmm. it's all about the particularity. Mm-hmm. And then Richard Rohr comes along and says, Yes, but he's not just Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Christ of the whole cosmos. The whole world has been reconciled. Every planet, if other planets have people living, like as far as you can see, as far as Hubble can, like the cosmic Christ reigns over the whole thing, and the cosmic Christ is also Jesus of Nazareth, a town of less than you know five hundred people. And welcome to the ultimate mystery and paradox of Christian faith: the cosmic Christ is the Nazarene.
0: So, if someone at your church hears you saying this. Uh, they've never heard it before. What's your 32nd, this is what the cosmic Christ means?
1: Oh, I just have them read Colossians one. Okay. Or Romans eight. I really do. Okay.
0: Colossians like, one. What section? Where well, the,
1: the very Colossians one, the very first section where it says that Jesus is the the whole divine principle that holds the whole world together. Everything has been reconciled, reconciled all powers, all authorities. Everything's been reconciled through him on the cross and in the resurrection. So, I mean, you can go to Romans 8, you can go to the resurrection scene in the Gospel mm-hmm. of John, you can go to to uh, Revelation, which is the ultimate cosmic Christ. But it, it is this idea um, that God is not all things, but God is in everything, mm-hmm. everywhere. And there's nowhere you can go that God isn't because he is the cosmic Christ who rules over the whole planet.
0: Yeah. Now, so some uh, some of where you go with the cosmic Christ is that God is... Revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. Yes.
1: But he's the cosmic Christ became Jesus of
0: Nazareth. Yeah. They're two different. Okay. But the cosmic Christ can also appear elsewhere in other people. Right. And so that, am I tracking with your understanding of it? If
1: you believe in the Holy spirit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But then you could get to the end of that and say, well, the cosmic Christ appeared, uh, maybe in the Quran or in Muhammad. Can you get there?
1: me personally? Yeah. No. Okay, why not? Well, th- so this is a debate about progressive revelation, which is a really fun. Mm-hmm. Jews and Christians and Muslims all believe in progressive re- revelation. Meaning God keeps speaking. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for instance, textual scholars note mm-hmm. that so much of the Quran, I don't know how much, 70, 80% of the Quran is based on the Jewish and Christian scriptures. Like you could not have the Quran. Jesus mm-hmm. Isa is mentioned all the time. I I do I think that God could work through Muhammad? Do I think God could work through the Quran? Of course, I think God can work through anything mm-hmm. and doesn't need me to like validate it. But I think the revelation of Jesus was such a unique moment in history. By the way, Bahais believe that kind of these prophets of God, these theophanetic manifestations of the divine. How do you you like that? That's great. I'll give you a point. Um, (laughs) That they happen like every 500 to 1,000 years. So you have Jesus, you have Muhammad six centuries later. Then you have Baha'u'llah, who's the founder of now what we know is the Baha'i faith. Um, So they see these as sons of God. That's progressive revelation. I think Christianity has said the manifestation of God, the cosmic Christ in Jesus of Nazareth, was so utterly radical and different. There's never been anything like him since.
0: Hmm. So the the people who are taking the understanding of the cosmic Christ to say that God is you can that God is revealed in the Quran just as it's revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. You would say no. The best revelation is Jesus of Nazareth. It's not comparative to any other revelation,
1: right? Because I, I think that the narratives are moving in a different trajectory.
0: What do you mean by that? Uh, the, you, know, the,
1: you have the peaceable kingdom in the New Testament you have the new heavens and the new earth and the, the Quran uh, and this gets into debates about eschatology in heaven but the Quran is is, is much more interested in kind of submission and forming Muslims Uh, through discipline, through sacrifice, through mercy, all good things, but I don't see this robust eschatological vision like you get in Revelation 21, the New Jerusalem. So the the stories are moving to different places.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things that I think is most problematic about the mountain metaphor is that the ends of every religion are not the exact same thing. The Christian desire for salvation is not the same desire for multiple other different religions. So that's in my opinion. So you
1: know, the Atlantic had this article about isis that went viral and it's it is the in in my opinion it's the definitive kind of understanding of you have to get into the apocalyptic worldview of isis to understand why they're wreaking hell all over syria and other parts of the middle east right now and what's great about pieces like that is it it does show exactly what you said you got to work towards the end Mm -hmm. and then start backwards and say okay if this is the Sufi's view of the end or the Sunni's view of the end or the Shias or the Baptist or the church of Christ or the cat, Ka- like the view of the end shapes everything else. Yeah. Another big theological or prole- proleptic eschatology. So how do you live in the tension of where it's moving versus where it is? Yeah. And again, the cosmic Christ expressed through Jesus of Nazareth, I think was a game changer. In in such a sense that I don't even think it's fair to say he was starting a new religion. I think he was reclaiming all of humanity. Yeah. Hmm. And that's where I love the Richard Rohr line about God didn't Jesus didn't come to convince God about us. He came to convince us about God. And to show us the heart of God. Yeah. God God was sold.
0: Yeah. God was already sold. He was He was good. We gotta get on board with it. We got, that's yeah, a, that's right.
1: That's the train, the train is moving. Who that's wants a to great jump on?
0: Quote. That's a really, really good quote. I'm glad you said that.
1: Yeah. It's important to get it
0: right. Well, you, you actually didn't get it right though.
1: I know. It was a paraphrase. It was like the new living <laughs> Eugene was, Peterson. It was translation. like the Luke
0: Norsley version of it. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. Jesus came to change our mind about God. That's right. Finally got the quote right. Um, Two days later. <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself. I'm <laughs> worthless. I'm not newsworthy. Uh, yeah, okay. So the piece is out. Um, it's PBS. A, it's viral. It's a viral it's, sensation. It's been well it's received. slam dunk. It's been well received, That's yeah. a basketball metaphor because I know you like the hoops.
1: I love the hoops.
0: And um, so you were talking about Syria. I, uh, I had a buddy, uh, Paul, who was over like 20 miles away from Damascus right around the same time you were there just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And he was out there doing a piece uh doing some uh work with um oh it was either compassion world vision. Mm. World vision.
1: And he was actually in Damascus.
0: Uh I think he got twenty miles away. He was in some of the the camps. He's way tougher than me. Yeah. It was he told me a story about a guy he met and this is just complete like hospitality. Uh there was a gentleman whose um whose land electricity been cut off. They had cut down all of his. I guess olive is that the mm-hmm. the the fruit of is the it fruit.
1: It's the ma- it's the major source of wood.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's the the olives. Are all, olive trees are all cut down. Electricity is cut off. Uh, they barricaded his road, and these um, fanatical people were destroying his life. And in, in five different languages on his front gate, he said, uh, "You are not my enemy," mm. and he was committed. Had not seen these people as the enemy obviously their ends were completely different than his but he was committed he's a christian and out of that he said you know what i'm not going to let your difference dictate the way i'm going to treat you
1: do you know the song uh brother That's- when <laughs> i look into the face
0: so when paul put finished the video for world vision you know what song he put on there
1: of my enemy it- i see my Brother. Yeah, he didn't
0: have you singing. He had the real people singing it. Did
1: you know Ian co-wrote that? With the brilliance? Your friend Ian Cron co-wrote that song with David Gunger.
0: Really? Yeah. I didn't I'd never heard that yeah. song.
1: You need to have David Ooh. on the podcast too. Yeah. Is David the the brother?
0: Michael's brother.
1: Michael's brother. He would not like to be called the brother, but well, he I is didn't... the younger brother and okay. he's in Tribeca. He's in New York City.
0: Is that the Brilliance? Are they in? He's the
1: lead singer for the Brilliance.
0: Oh, okay. yeah. I but didn't... that
1: song, my boys, six, four, the baby doesn't, but the six and four-year-old Lucas and Finn, they will sing that song at the top of their lungs. Really? Finn doesn't even know what an enemy is. He calls it a frenemy.
0: So so I'm preaching on <laughs> Ruth and in a couple of weeks, and I saw, so Paul sends me that song in a text before mm. I see it on there. Never, didn't know the song before, my bad, Christian music. And my first thought was, This is this is the story of Ruth. Yeah. She is the I don't know, three thousand year old version of a refugee. That's right. And the story is like this is your sister. That's right.
1: It's that searing, penetrating movement of Torah in the New Testament to say your relationship with God has everything to do with your relationship with other people.
0: Yeah. Okay, so in Beck's new book, he talks about the the difference of Two love versus one love, Hmm. and he said, you know, there was the the, difference is two love is you love God and you love people, but sometimes those loves are competing, and sometimes you feel like your love for God means that you don't quote unquote love your neighbor, and so you can have this, I'm going to do terrible things in the name of God, but if you move from a two love to a one love understanding, it's your love for God is seen in your love for all people. Isn't that good?
1: It's first John, yeah. It's it's the right. heart of early Christianity. You cannot say you love God if you don't love people. Yeah. The way you love people is the way you love God.
0: And what I find inspiring about your work is this idea like this big, uh kind of amorphous, hard to get your head around idea of, you know, loving your neighbor, loving people who are different from you, can be boiled down to something as simple as a meal together. Yeah. And just getting to know people. That's right.
1: Love Amir. Uh, love Daud. Love Brooke. Mm-hmm. Love the Ferdosi family. I don't have to love all 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. I, yeah. just, I just have to have my eyes open to the Muslim neighbors who live in Nashville. Yeah. Who I'm compelled
0: to love. Yeah.
1: And be loved by. And to that, allow them to love me too.
0: That's good. And to make yourself vulnerable. To, and just, to be
1: available and vulnerable to them too.
0: Which is a giving up of power and control which is kind of like the, the Jesus move. It is. And then you're most alive. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, so, um, people don't know anything about this. They're trying to figure out how do I uh, love my enemy? How do I love my neighbor? They're not enemies, but how do I love people who are different from me? Uh, the, there's a great book called, uh, how not to kill a Muslim. Thank you. You're how not to it? kill
1: a Muslim? Go on Amazon, do it,
0: buy it, give a good rating to it. Uh, what else are you working on these days? Anything else?
1: Uh, survival. We sure. have a newborn in our house. <laughs> Oliver. <laughs> so the other day a friend texts me, one of my good friends who loves NBA basketball. We usually text during the playoff games and he's like, where are you? Are you going to respond? Where are you? I'd gone to bed at nine twenty. We have a nine month old boy named Oliver in our house and he is dominating. He's, that's what I'm working on right
0: now. Yeah. He's a, that's a game changer. Um, yeah. My youngest is like two now. And so it's sleeping normally and it's, My alarm's going off. Can you hear that? I just turned it off. That's the alarm. So we got to go. It's time to go get dinner. Um, All right. Josh, thanks for the time. Thank you. And it is always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norris. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.